0: Hey there, and welcome to episode 22 of the Bike Karma podcast, I'm Tom Brown. These are stories from all over the big wide world of bicycles and people. Whether you like to ride, wrench, or collect, these are stories for anyone who loves bicycles or the people who love bicycles. The first story today is about Kevin the Weathersfield turkey, friend to cyclist find out why this little turkey with a spunky attitude has more facebook likes than i probably will ever have then we look at a program that's trying to use mountain biking to break the cycle of addiction and lastly eric weiss from the builder's ball returns to tell us what happened when he found a baby possum on the side of the road you have a lot of podcasts that you can choose to listen to and i really appreciate you coming along for the ride with me on mine let's roll out As much as I love cycling, sometimes I don't want to go out. An object at rest tends to stay at rest, and there's a certain amount of energy required to get you up off your duff and out onto the bike, whether it's too cold, too hot. Maybe you just want to sit in bed, drink coffee, and read that book that you're reading. Maybe you have to finish editing that podcast episode. But one of those things that's gotten me out a lot this year is actually a turkey. There's a turkey in town who's acting a little weird for turkeys. So we have an honest to God wild turkey who hangs out at the busiest intersection in the city. His name's Kevin and he chases cars around, walks wherever he damn well pleases, and people love him. Some people even voted for him for town council. And this turkey has become one of the most popular citizens in our town. He's like our town ambassador. He's got thousands of fans on Facebook from not just Wethersfield, but now around the world. Inadvertently, he's become a friend to cyclists by both making cars slow down and look around more, but also just as a source of amusement. Earlier this fall, I talked to these cool guys over at Uncle The Podcast, John and Aaron. You should check out their show. It's at Uncle The Podcast. And they said it was okay if I could play this segment from their show, which describes what's going on. By the way, I think they have one of the coolest openings of any podcast I've ever heard. So I'm going to start with that and then jump into the segment.
1: Morning, 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 morning. This is a Murnacy Podcast. Code red, code red, code red, here we are. Pick up your iPads, your cell phones, and hang me and listen to Uncle the Podcast. Watch out. If you're sitting down for this, or if you're standing up, you better get ready for this, cause it's gonna hit the eardrums. Uncle
2: the Podcast. You're listening to Uncle the Podcast. My name is Aaron. I'm the nephew-in-law, and here with me is the star of the show, Uncle.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We're a uh, 73 episode with our guest, special guest star, Tom Brown.
2: Yes. Hello, Tom uh, Hello, Tom. Brown. Hello, Tom. Hello. Hello, Tom. Yes. Hello. Tom, you do the Bike Karma Podcast. Why didn't you quickly just tell the audience... What, what that is and you who do. you are and how you started doing the podcast.
3: I love it too. We, so we, have, a, um, we have something that happened in town. Can I talk about it? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Please do. Okay. Go ahead.
3: All right. So, so let's talk turkey. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. So there's this turkey. Mm. It's a wild turkey. <laughs> and he has, you know, you are talking about social media and mm. he's got more fans than... Like my podcast will have for another five years. <laughs> yeah. He is—he is the local turkey, and he has decided that he's gonna like his area is going to be the busiest intersection in town. Yeah, and call him the the Wethersfield turkey. So
2: he's—it's—it's it's, it's a literal. Is it a wild turkey, or is this something that flew the coop, so to speak, yeah. and is out in the middle of the street?
3: It, it's a wild turkey. Mm, now, wild turkey. how how it got there? Was it uh, you know like a domesticated wild turkey, or, or how it got there and nobody's quite sure about, okay. except people who aren't talking? And so he'll be out there, and you'll be biking along, and you'll see this turkey in the middle of a four-way intersection where one of the ways is coming off the highway, mm. and he's just standing there, and the cars will slowly creep up on him, thinking he's going to move, and he just walks right up to him, and then they honk at him, and then he goes, <laughs> And oh, he yeah, won't move, yeah. and then oh, yeah, people yeah, are yeah. getting hmm. people are getting out of their cars, and you know you think, well, somebody's got to save this turkey, and this guy gets out of his car and he puts him on the side of the road, and then like before the guy can even get back in his car, the turkey's in the middle of the intersection, stopping <laughs> a motorcycle <laughs> <laughs> wow. and now, this wouldn't be that big a deal. you'd be like, "Oh, I've always seen turkeys on the side of the road, but this turkey's been there for like months now so at least since June and you so like every time you go there it's like you got a 50-50 chance of seeing this turkey in the middle of the road and I started to notice that every once in a while you see a line of cars and you can kind of put together the story that somebody was looking at the turkey and backed into the person in front of it or backed into the person in front of them (laughs) so periodically you see you know oh the turkey got three cars today or oh the turkey got two cars today um I, I almost got got into an accident because of the turkey, but we love the turkey. Wow! You know, and there's several pages for the turkey, and but there's a, there's a couple of anti turkey pages as oh, well. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. I could see how people would get yeah. mad at that. The, the turkey sounds like it has a real punk rock attitude to me. It could be a oh, punk rocker. Yeah. <laughs>
1: what I think it was by saying, "Hey, listen, it ain't for the cause anymore. We're taking turkeys around on my street." You get out of the way. It's like saying, listen, get out of the way, you cause. We got a room here. We can walk through the stores, this road. Sounds like anarchy to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm thinking.
3: He's rebelling against against the man. He's saying, I'm taking back the intersection. Yeah, right. Exactly.
2: That's exactly my point, I was going to say. I, I, wa- so, I think yeah. somebody should get a tattoo of the turkey yeah. and it should say FTW in text on it too, because yeah. that that just makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. A Make that touch- <laughs> text. the turkey? Get that
1: turkey out of the way. Yeah. Hey now, we're involved with this road. I'm going through the road. Never mind you people. Step away from the road get these cars in my my, my pathway.
2: Yeah. That's what the Tookie's saying. It's a lot bolder than the roadrunners we have out here, yeah. I'll say that. They'll oh, run yeah. across the street, but they won't we hang have... out in front of a the car. They keep we going. Have road runners, <laughs> we have roadrunners, man.
1: Bad enough, they move faster than a spilling bullet. <laughs> They're quick. They're, They're quick.
2: quick. Everybody's seen the cartoons, so they yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> we know about them. <laughs> All these crazy birds out there. But that's birds. another thing you kind of bring up on the podcast, too. Thanks again to John and
0: Aaron over at Uncle the Podcast. They're out in California, which is why they were talking about roadrunners, which would be really rare out here in New England. After that show, I started to do research for my own segment, and I found out that his name was pretty much settling on Kevin, even though he's had like three or four names. Kevin is the one that ended up being the most popular, and that he'd actually been out there since february or march of that year was one of the earlier sightings of him he started out at route three the intersection where route three comes into weathersfield at one of the probably busiest intersections in town i named the strava segment after him because i enjoyed cycling past him so much it's called watch out for kevin the weathersfield turkey southbound So why was I naming Strava segments after a turkey? And why was I changing my rides to go by this turkey? What was it about this turkey that was hitting a chord with me as a cyclist? Well, one day when I rolled up, I realized what it was. I rolled up to an intersection going northbound and there was another cyclist waiting at the stoplight and we both looked at Kevin and we realized that Kevin was more like us than the cars. He was out vulnerable in the traffic and I think we were like brothers at that point but thing that Kevin did is he would just sit there and get in the car's way and that'd be totally irresponsible for a cyclist to do but getting in the way and being visible I think people could see this little brownish bird more than they could see me with my fluorescent day glow windbreaker on and that's sad because I kind of want to be safe too and here people were slowing down to look out for Kevin, but if you are a cyclist, people would not give you enough room. They would breeze past you with close distance between you and them. It could be fairly painful. And here was a little bird saying no to that, saying no to any of that. You are gonna, traffic is gonna stop. Traffic is not that important, he would gobble. Traffic is gonna stop, and traffic is going to respect Life. So this little bird, in a way, was kind of like a folk hero for us pedestrians and cyclists. He got the cars to stop and pay attention when we couldn't. Even people who weren't walking and cycling were getting very philosophical about this turkey, saying, Kevin is trying to teach us all just to slow down and enjoy life, which you, you can't argue with that, kind of was. So I went around town asking people about Kevin. Have you seen the turkey?
4: I've seen it several times. Sometimes he's on the side of the road and sometimes he's in the lanes, one of the turning lanes with his wings out and um, cars are backed up. The other day, for the first time I saw him, it looked like he was sleeping next to one of the street signs on the side of the road. but. Yeah, I've seen him a lot.
0: Do most people that you talk to, like in your circle, do they like the turkey or do they think it's a nuisance?
4: Um, I've only know a few people that know about the turkey. People I work with, nobody lives down here. But yeah, they like it. It's fun to see. I, I hope he stays safe, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> as much trouble as he is, most people love him.
4: Yeah, yeah, you Except can Google. Except for the people whose accidents he yeah. caused. Yeah, yeah, I hope, hopefully that hasn't been too much of the case. But yeah, I, I love seeing him, but I just hope he stay safer. Maybe can mingle with some other turkeys, (laughs) Turkeyettes.
0: Do you think, is there any possible reason why you think that he chose the busiest intersection in town?
4: I'm thinking that people must be feeding him and maybe that's why he's staying, which is kind of a bad thing, I think, because he should be in a safer place. Yeah, okay.
0: Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. So, sir, have you heard about the turkey on the corner?
5: Yeah, I heard about it.
0: Have you seen it?
5: Yes, almost every day. (laughs) Every day.
0: What's he up to when you see him?
6: Uh, Normally he's just potting around, messing with the traffic and people.
0: (laughs) Have you ever seen him get into trouble? No. No, okay. Are you happy that that turkey's there?
5: Um, It doesn't matter to me, but it's just funny that it doesn't doesn't want to leave whatsoever
0: yeah i've seen people move it and then it comes right back out
5: yeah it's crazy that that turkey i think is uh maybe is laying eggs somewhere in there
0: oh so you think it's got a nest nearby yeah i think so all right that was my next question what's your theory why it's there eggs nearby yeah okay thank you very much no problem you're a cyclist are you a kevin fan
5: I'm a huge Kevin fan. He's really uh, brought some excitement to this town since last spring.
0: What do you think he's there for? What's his message? Mm-hmm.
5: I-, I think he's there just to kind of keep an eye on people and to give people a reason to smile as they go about their business in town. You know, he really gives us a zen. chance to kind of, yeah, take pause and, you know, kind of see what's going on in the world that we've got this really cool bird doing his thing.
0: Yeah. Do you use Strava while you're cycling?
5: I don't. My husband does, but but I do not.
0: Because I just named this stretch of road right here the yeah. Kevin segment.
5: I saw that on his Facebook yeah, feed, yeah. on his Facebook page. Yeah.
2: I did. It's pretty cool that he already has like over seventeen hundred followers.
0: Yeah, he makes me smile, but I guess I worry about him. Yeah, I'm worried about him too. Yeah,
2: especially people
5: that don't know why people are slowing down and don't understand.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you. You're
2: welcome. You can't help but smile when you look at Kevin.
0: Thanks to Mary Jane, Ron, Pam, and Christy for sharing their thoughts on Kevin. As animal control was ramping up their efforts and the traffic situation was starting to get a little iffy, he moved over to a less crowded, but still very, very visible intersection, right smack dab in the middle of the historic district in town. So now that he's hanging out at a four-way stop where he's a lot more easier to see, animal control and the police have backed off in a more live and let live attitude. Local businesses have started the merchandising and for my birthday, I got a Kevin pint glass. And as the election approached, vote for Kevin signs were seen all over town. For my part, Kevin always puts me in a philosophical mood. When I go to see him, I ride my bike over. If I stop to smell the roses in life and I just sit on the side of the road and watch him interact with everybody else, it makes me see how silly a lot of the stuff that we normally do is. On one hand, he's unexpected. You don't expect to see a turkey standing in the middle of the road causing hijinks. But on the other hand, it's like a sunset when you stop what you're doing and you look up to just stop and appreciate it. So I'm gonna take Kevin as a reminder to be present, not do things so automatically, which is something I'm trying to do anyway. Like I've heard so many other Kevin fans say online and in person, just this one year, I'm not gonna eat turkey, just to be thankful. Thankful to that little turkey on the corner who gave me a reason to ride on days where I didn't really want to and gave me a smile when I got there. Thanks, Kevin.
5: Hey I'm Jamie. Hey I'm Rob. Hey I'm Al. Hey I'm Clint. So the program is called Breaking the Cycle. What we do is we take teenagers that are in recovery from alcohol and substance addiction
6: on mountain bike rides. We took this kid on his first ride and took him to the top of Powder Ridge and within the first minute he went flying over the handlebars and then we spent the next 10 minutes or so just trying to get him confident enough to get back on the bike and continue down the hill. And he wound up having a great time that day. So it was a success.
5: We were riding out at Rockland and there was uh, this feature that we call a log ride, which is, uh, you know, a log that's low on the ground and you get up on it with your mountain bike and ride across it. And we had this kid who watched a couple of us do it. And at first he was saying, oh, I don't know if I, I don't, I don't think I can do that. And we encouraged him to give it a shot and try it. He got nothing to lose. He tried it seven times. He was not willing to let go. <laughs> he tried it seven times and he finally got it. And you should have seen the look on his face and he got back to the rest of the kids and they were all high-fiving each other. And he said, man, I feel really good about myself right now. He had a blast for the rest of the day.
7: I remember one time over at, at Heard Park, kids are always through watching TV and stuff. They're always, you know, mesmerized by all the jumping and stuff like that. So it's one particular day, the kids were riding really well, and I saw a lot of confidence building up in them. So we took them down a jump run. You know, we were real careful the, the bigger jumps we steered them away from, but, uh, We got to a couple of smaller jumps just to see the charge that these kids get out of overcoming obstacles like that it just it's such a moving experience being able there to be there and and witness you know what what's happening you know that's that to me is like real recovery these kids are figuring out that there's other things that really get big charge out of in life and you know that's that's what this program means to me it's just uh you know, getting these kids to, to redirect and find new outlets, even if it's not mountain biking. Just just to let them know that there's a whole big world out there waiting for them.
8: I have one. We are at a Rockland and there is very close to the fire road After when you're done with the ride. There's a really, there's a big, it's a, it's a big roller, but it's, you know, it's doable, but it, all the trees are tight and everything. It's very doable. And I looked at Al, he looked at me, he said, yeah, let's, let's, let's have a few of these guys do it. The better, better kids. And they, one at a time, were really nervous. They each did it. And at the bottom of it, after the roller, back on the fire road, they were, It looked like they hit the lottery and (laughs) I was high-fiving them and the one kid said, that is the best thing that I have ever done in my life. He said that. It was pretty cool.
5: We just finished a ride here at Nassahegan. We're sitting in front of the bike trailer, which is loaded up with uh, about a dozen bikes and uh, we had a fantastic ride out here. It's a beautiful day. We fed the kids, had lunch, uh, burgers and dogs with the kids. Say about four or five miles a single track. Four or five miles. We have, a, we have a loop out here that is just really great for beginner mountain bikers. Not too many huge hills, not too many uh, big rocks, just nice, flowy, smooth, fast sections through the woods and uh, really allows people to get comfortable on the bike, uh, we had one first-timer here, and then we had uh, some kids who have been with us for multiple times. So it really allows people to get comfortable on the bike, have a good time, and, and, and feel that flow of the bike. And we had one kid with us today who uh, we are discussing logistics on how he's gonna take a bike home next week because he's ridden with us enough times that he earns a bike, so he gets to take a new bike home next week. All right. So the program is called Breaking the Cycle. What we do is we take teenagers that are in recovery from alcohol and substance addiction on mountain bike rides. And amongst the four of us here, we probably have about 75 years of clean and sober recovery time. So we're really based on serving as an example to these kids and a beacon of hope in a way that they can have fun on the mountain bike, they can have a blast and do something positive for themselves. And also it it helps us. We're all volunteers, we're all in recovery, long-term recovery from alcohol and substance addiction. And so this is also a way that we can give back and help these kids and ride a mountain bike at the same time, which is a pretty fantastic combination. We get
6: to have fun too.
0: So the kids show up, you got the trailer full of bikes, which is amazing. Yeah. How'd you get that?
5: Uh, we did have to purchase a, a trailer due to capacity and, and making the logistics of transporting the bikes easier. Yeah. Yeah, last year we were
7: using a uh, using a pickup truck and uh, we were busting at the seams with uh, the most that the truck could carry it was like nine bikes. Last year we had a couple of groups of 11, 11 kids and that happened a couple of weeks in a row and we were at the point where like we knew that the program was growing and you know money's money's always an issue we we did pretty well monetarily this year through donations and uh, were able to afford a trailer we uh, we shopped around and we found a great deal i found a uh, manufacturer uh, not a manufacturer but a dealer in the area they just loved the idea of breaking the cycle and the program they actually gave us the trailer at cost and even waived their own shipping fee for the trailer you know kind of help us program out because uh, you know we were on a limited budget having the trailer is just it's a fantastic thing we're still kind of you know figuring out how many bikes we can jam in here we're pretty full at 12 but you know, I'm pretty handy with uh, working working on stuff, and pretty good with tools. So he gets all the credit for that. We we might be able to uh, sandwich some more bikes in if we if we need to.
5: So I probably should mention we are a YMCA program. YMCA has been great in helping us with some of the nonprofit logistics liability insurance, all that kind of stuff. And we also get a, a grant from Pratt & Whitney that helps us every year to buy the bikes and cover the costs and things like that, as well as we've had some really good individual donations. So we've been fortunate in that respect and that we don't have to spend time fundraising and doing those kind of things. Where do the kids come from? We partner with some local agencies. Uh, For example, we work closely with Rushford in Durham. Rushford is an inpatient teenage rehab facility. Uh, They also have some outpatient there. Rushford has really allowed us to, to do what we do because they bring a van full of kids to our rides. We also get referrals from social workers, juvenile probation officers, uh, the recovery community. They come to us in many different ways. We have a little bit of a discussion to make sure that the teen is going to be a good fit for our recovery-based program, as well as we're going to be a good fit for the teen.
7: The way we like to start the ride is the first thing when a kid shows up they jump out of the van they're excited so we try to direct them. there's things that they need to do usually I'll be shouting out hey you need to get a helmet get the helmet fitted up get some gloves get your water bottle and then kind of get them to take responsibility for for their own stuff and their own gear at that time when they're pouring out of the van I'm usually taking inventory it's like you know look at sizing the kids up and saying okay we need a need a medium bike here a large bike here oh he's a big one there's an extra large <laughs> so uh, we'll do that so it's a little chaotic but it's really cool it's neat because there's a lot of excitement and you know a lot of when kids show up like the first time they're usually pretty timid they don't really know what's going on and we just kind of try to get them moving you know getting going in a direction. Usually there's kids that have more experience that have been around so we'll try to direct those kids to help the kids that haven't been around in getting their bike geared up and stuff and this kind of teaches them to help each other a little bit. Once everybody's kind of geared up then then we kind of circle up. Yeah, we
8: <clears throat> we sort of gather everyone around in a circle. The ride leaders take a turn each, telling the kids and each other our story of sobriety, and that takes a couple minutes. And you know, we try to we try to let them know that they're not alone, and that you know we've been there, and there is hope. And at the end, you know, we're we're really here to have fun and mountain bike and show them that there is there's another way to get excitement out of life. It's a healthier way. One thing that I like this year, and I don't know if it was Clint or Jamie who started it asked the kids, hey, you have anything to share? And almost every time there's one kid, maybe two who do have something to share. And that's pretty cool. Because while you're, while we're sharing as ride leaders, I sort of am looking around and they sort of look down and they're being respectful. They're fidgety, seem like they just want to get going. And then Jamie comes out and says, hey, you got anything to share? And much to my surprise, one or two share. And it's pretty cool. It might be something as simple as, hey,
6: Tomorrow I got two months clean or something, and and everybody goes, you know, because that's that's something. That's a big deal. That's why we're here. Yeah.
0: So what's the connection between cycling and recovery? Overcoming obstacles and overcoming fears
5: yeah there's a lot of uh life lessons associated with mountain biking they kind of apply to anybody but there are some extremely pertinent life lessons that apply to these teenagers who are trying to recover from alcohol and substance abuse i mean right some of the most obvious ones are to al's point perseverance you know we want to show them that they can they'll see something and they'll think oh i don't know if i can do that but if they focus on it and have a little bit of faith and push through it, they can usually do it. We wouldn't put them on something that we didn't think they could do for the most part, you know? And so there's always a, a real look of astonishment on their face when they do it. When they clear that obstacle or climb over those rocks, it really is very empowering, right? And esteeming. <laughs> um, another important piece is is certainly the community, right? I mean, uh, I know Jamie always makes it a point to mention in the circle that you guys are part of our community now, right? We're here to support you on the bike and we're here if you need help otherwise, because all of us have been in recovery from alcohol and substance addiction for quite a while. so we have been there right we know the ropes and it's especially important for kids at that young age because they're thinking their life is over right what are we gonna go to AA meetings now or I can never drink or use drugs again I'm never gonna have fun again that's really kind of what they're thinking that's what I was thinking at 18 years old you know so we really want to give them some hope and show them that they will have an absolute blast out there on the bike and they do These kids. They go nuts. They go freaking ballistic when you put them on a bicycle. You know.
8: And I and I think that also what you're asking is is do these people do these kids come here and say, okay, so what does this have to do with me being in this program? And they don't. They're just at Rushford or in whatever program they're in, and their counselor or whoever's there says, hey, uh, do you want a mountain bike today? Okay, like, hey, you want a mountain bike this Sunday? Uh, and they're like, what? And then they talk to other kids and other kids are like, yeah, it's great. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, okay. So they come, they get off out of the van, they come over to us and we start organizing everything and, and they're just like, okay, we're here to ride bikes. They don't really have a question. It doesn't, they don't look at it that way, I think.
5: Generally speaking, for recovery, there are a lot of different components. There's a lot of different pieces to that puzzle, right? And one of those pieces is replacing negative behaviors with positive behaviors. So the program is called Breaking the Cycle. It's a a play on words with breaking the mountain bike, which does happen, right? (laughs) But it's more about those positive behaviors and putting your energy into something positive and productive instead of into addiction or anger or all those things that kind of come along with, with the disease, right? And so alcoholism and drug addiction are a disease And so there's multiple components involving community, involving support, involving positive behaviors, and getting that support from people who've kind of been there, done that, and know how to handle certain situations.
6: One of the things they say in in the program, as I remember it, is one of the most important things that you have to do when you're getting sober is you have to change your playmates and change your playgrounds. Mm This is part of that for sure too. hanging around people that are doing stuff that's
8: healthy and fun and, and staying sober at the same time. Simple. And I don't know if we mentioned that all, all the ride leaders, everyone involved in the program have to be sober. So I don't, I don't know if we mentioned that. That's, so that's, that's why it's a prerequisite that that be the case.
7: I want to speak to, uh, a word that Clint used before that stuck out for him. to me esteeming that's to me i mean really you got to try to boil it down to one benefit of this mm. of this program big part of my alcoholism is in my disease is my own self-esteem it's it's dragged me down you know the road of addiction for for many many years i've learned through programs that i'm in and continue to be in that a lot of this disease is about your own self-esteem and about how you feel about yourself. These kids always leave here feeling usually you know better than when they showed up. That was uh, that was taught to me. A lot of times you do things that you're unsure about, but once you once you get through the other side, once you're done with it, you feel so much better, and you feel good about yourself, and you feel good about what you're doing. So you're just creating this positive energy within yourself. And I think that's what overcoming the obstacles and being able to make that climb to the top of the hill, you know, really does for these kids. They start to feel better about themselves and they start feeling worthy of their own recovery. We've run into that with a lot of addicts and alcoholics I see. A lot of them feel like they're not worth their own recovery. So repairing self-worth, I think, is a, is a huge benefit of this program.
5: Yeah, and they may not, um... I mean they may not remember the ride, right, or the trail later, but I'll tell you one thing they are going to remember is that these sober guys had a freaking blast and it makes an impression on them, you know, because I remember, you know, when I was new in recovery, you know, you're very guarded, you have a lot of negative talk going on in your head, a lot of uh, self-esteem issues, right, and when you see people who are just free and clear and having a blast and loving life and living it, it really makes an impression. You know i think our our primary product here is hope you know we show these kids you can stay clean and silver and have a freaking blast and the mountain bike is the perfect vehicle to get that point across to them um, because they show up right and like al said they're timid they're not really sure first thing that happens 10 or 15 minutes into the ride is they're like damn this is fun this is really cool <laughs> you know and you can see it you can see it unfold as they ride you know and then they get a little more comfortable and then they want to try things that are a little more challenging because we're we're putting them up to, to try this rock or try this log or whatever we show them how to do it we walk them through it a little bit we might stop and have everybody everybody will try it once and if they get it we'll hoot and holler if they don't we'll send them back they try it again and so there's a real team focus on getting these guys to try these things and do stuff that they didn't think they could do before they showed up in the parking lot here. Uh, and I think that's probably the biggest deliverable is that hope that they get and that that good time that they have. Uh, kids that
7: just really really got into the bicycle aspect of it and you could see their attitudes change too. You know, the more confident that they became on their bicycle, the more confident they became it seems like with themselves, and how they carried themselves around others, it's a really good thing to see. And there's been a couple of kids over the last three years, we're in our third season now, that have stood out every year and for whatever reason you know maybe they took different paths other than other than bikes or they just don't have the means of getting back to breaking the cycle transportation problems whatever they still stand out to me and i can still name all of them you know if i wanted to but uh we're an anonymous program it's great being that they're teens we can't really have that much outside contact with them other than breaking the cycle. I just have to hope that, that whatever they've learned here planted a seed that's still growing. We had uh, we had one kid today. We did multiple laps. This kid's third ride, I think. We were at an obstacle. It's a little daunting the first time you ride up to it. We had a more experienced kid that tried it the first time. All the ride leaders did it. I watched. He really wanted to do it. You could see it. I reassured him. I said, you know, hey, this thing is going to be here. Don't force yourself to do it today. Because a lot of times, you know, there is risk involved. It's mountain biking. I said, you need to feel comfortable, you know, when, when you try stuff. Um, and if you're not, it's probably not the right time. So we, we rode by it in the first lap. And on the second lap, he decided to, he decided to pass on it again. But on the third lap, Something changed where he he felt the confidence and he just, he had that moment where it felt right and he did it and he was like, that was absolutely awesome.
8: I actually didn't think he was gonna do it. We all went up to it again and I just assumed he wouldn't because he, he wouldn't do it the first two times. So the third time we were there and Clint goes down and I think Jamie, I went, this kid rides BMX bikes Afterwards, he told me he saw how I dropped in and he remembered how he drops into half pipes or whatever when he rides BMX. So Clint and I already had already gone and, and all of a sudden I hear somebody screaming. I'm like, oh my God, that's him. I can't <laughs> believe he did it. He was literally screaming. He was so excited and he was like so pumped. He was like, I did it. I did it. High-fiving. That, that's, why, that's why we do this.
0: This whole thing is really ripe with metaphors. I <laughs> mean, the breaking, oh, the sure. cycle, yeah. I mean, come on. It is. I mean, the one that stuck out to me is, it's been a while since I did a lot of single track, but you would pick a line, and if somebody was ahead of you, you'd look at their line, and you'd see, you know, was it a good line they picked? <laughs> if it was a good line, you try and follow their line. And it's basically where the tires are going of the person in front of you. And if you see that person go over their handlebars into a tree, you pick a different line <laughs> and, <We are> quick. <laughs> and if you see that person do something that you've never done before you're like "Oh, maybe i'll pick their line so you're trying to get these kids to follow your line basically yeah mm-hmm. yep. and just remember that that's 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 a path that's out there
6: i keep on making this little speech that people are sick of hearing but for me the the dream is is that one of these kids or some of these kids will be ride leaders they'll be a couple years into sobriety, they'll be 18 or over, and they'll be bringing themselves here and standing in the circle and telling their story about how they got sober and what they're doing here and why, they, why they're participating in a different way now so that I can graduate to the rocket chair. Just earlier this year, we had, we had
5: a kid who rode with us previous years, 17 years old. He'd been homeless, living under a bridge trying to stay clean and sober, was having mixed results, you know, um, but he rode with us quite a few times and he came back this season. I think he's got like four months clean and sober and he was in the circle talking to the kids about how rough it was when he went back out there and what the mountain bike and being clean and sober meant to him. So we get to see some of that. We'd like to see more of that obviously and, and we have to be able to pass this on to the next generation of sober kids. But that is the goal. That is the, that is the dream is that This will make a difference in in some kid's life and it will be a component of them staying clean and sober and then they can come back and and pass it on to the next kid. We We do need ride leaders who are sober, clean and sober in recovery. That is basically the criteria All of us are former alcoholics or addicts who have either gone through some kind of program or gotten recovery and and are now in long-term sobriety. That's really our story is that we're all about recovery and how to get it and how to help, help these kids in that direction. So we do need ride leaders. Uh, the criteria is clean and sober, and clean and sober means no drugs, no alcohol, no marijuana, no prescription pills unless prescribed by a doctor for a legitimate reason. That's that's what clean and sober means.
0: And how how else could people help the program? Uh,
5: well, every program needs donations, right? That's always uh, that's always important to to cover the costs. Uh, if the kids stick with the program, typically do half the rides during the season. We give them a bike to take with them, a bike lock as well, and we typically are riding from May to the end of September till the weather kind of starts to turn. Every Sunday we're out here Sunday morning. These volunteers that I'm sitting with are awesome. These guys sacrifice pretty much every Sunday because they feel passionate about this and because other people did things to help them get clean and sober. So, We're here every Sunday, we do need ride leaders, so feel free to contact us. We have a webpage, breakingthecyclemtb.org is our webpage. Uh, And we're happy to to have a conversation and see if uh, you're a good fit for us and we're a good fit for you. Men or women? Yes, we do have some female ride leaders as well.
0: If it wasn't for cycling, if you had cycling taken away from you today, what would happen? I would cry for a long time.
1: (laughs) Me too. Um, <laughs> I, you
7: know, I, I would, I would redirect. I have, I have other physical activities that I like to do. But if I, if I lost uh, my physical abilities to mountain bike, kayak, hike, or anything like that, you know, I think that I've been faced with enough change throughout my life that I, I would somehow adapt. I do like to cook, so you know, I'm confident, especially especially since i found recovery. And that's a big part of this question for me. Is like, okay, being in recovery, if you lost the ability to mountain bike or do all of this stuff, I know now that I would be able to find something that I could do that could keep my crazy brain busy, you know? Without recovery, if I lost something like that, I would probably be doomed to addiction and alcoholism. (laughs) That's a good question for somebody like me to, to really think about and kind of put my life into perspective a little bit, because yeah, you know, one one phrase that Clint came up with uh, early on in breaking the cycle's history was, every ride is a gift. And sometimes I lose sight of that. Sometimes I lose sight of that. And you know, when I realize that every ride and every day of my life is a gift, things just kind of tend to go, better for me
8: you know it's easy to take all this for granted for Mm -hmm. sure I mean you just grab one of your bikes out of the garage and go ride and have fun and you sort of you take it for granted then you see Al you know in in a hospital bed you know can't even move you're like wow okay so I guess you can't you know you shouldn't take this for granted it's, you know, it's a gift. It is. And we as humans do, I mean, I know I do personally, take things for granted a lot. But what I would do is if you took mountain biking away from me, I would definitely, my number one thing I would do is drive my wife crazy. That's, that's what I would do, for sure. If you don't believe me, I'll give you a phone <laughs> <laughs> so, I know there's three guys here that believe you. <laughs> So please don't take it away, anyone.
5: <laughs> yeah. You know, this is this is our third season doing this, and you know, we're every Sunday we kinda saddle up, right, pack the bag, throw the bike in the back of the car and come out here. And it's easy, it is easy to take it for granted, right? That I know these core guys are gonna be here, give or take one person based on logistics, you know and uh, this is what we do. And we see these teens and they come out here and it's easy to forget that people die every single day from drug and alcohol addiction. The opioid crisis is going on right now. And these kids remind us that it's still out there. There will be, uh, you'll ride with a teen one week and then the next week uh, you'll find out he's locked up back in juby. These kids pushing an uphill battle because they're still in the middle of it. We've been removed from it for a while. But these kids are, you know, we're, sometimes we pick these kids up in a rough neighborhood in Hartford, you know, and drop them off there. And that's the environment that they're in. And it's tough and they're facing some, some obstacles. We've been through a lot of those obstacles, but it's been a while. So these kids help us to keep it fresh and remind us that, hey, the disease is still out there on a daily basis, killing people. And we get to ride mountain bikes yeah, in with
9: the these woods. kids.
8: I mean, there was a kid today who, who was afraid to be here in the woods. He's from an urban area and he lives on the streets and he was legitimate, he was afraid. He said it 20 times. He was really afraid and like we said earlier, we did multiple loops in the same, in the same loop and we made a couple and we knew we had to get back uh, on time and we were like, okay, let's do one more. And that kid who was afraid to even come out to the country, was like, yeah, I want to do another one. I mean, that's that's a pretty big deal. Change their environment. The world is huge.
0: For, and for how many riders, both inside the world of recovery or outside the world of recovery, has a bike been an escape mechanism? For even just me escaping boredom or escaping uh, work. Right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> or responsibility, <laughs> yeah, responsibility, or whatever, right, yeah. or just taken off. It's a universal language. It's not the only thing, no, but it's definitely a it's thing. It's a thing. Right? And it's a thing that's proved itself over and over mm-hmm. again to, to be one of the healthier things to take you out of whatever you may want to get out of. You know, as, as you guys are talking, we were just talking about some heavy duty stuff. The opioid addiction, we're talking about fear, we're talking about kids who feel their lives are over, we hear about kids going back into jail. You guys balance that horrible stuff and you're not out here having a miserable time you're out here having fun so it's like you go from this horrible story to cracking a joke to bring you out of it i mean that's that's a reality in life that is probably really helpful for these kids to see is that you can go from some really hardcore serious stuff to cracking a joke about let's say for example the first ride ever yeah yeah that was lost remember (laughs) immediately (laughs) that was thought we weren't going to talk about that uh, But that balance, that balance that you guys seem to have found, is a good, great example setting.
6: I, I do sort of want to tell this this little story. Our friend Clint dreamed this thing up. It was based on his early years in recovery as a teen. He got mixed up with some dudes that rode mountain bikes, and they were sober. And so he found a, he found a way to, to be healthy and, and have fun in his early sobriety. And so he dreamed up this program and got some of us involved. And it took a while. It took a while and it, Clint worked hard on trying to find some sponsorships so that we could get our nonprofit status, insurance and that stuff. Clint finally got it together, got some guys on board to help participate as leaders. We're on our first, our very first ride with a group of kids. We're on like a dirt road, it's not even a crazy trail. Clint is very excited, everyone is very excited. And I see Clint sort of do a little jump over a little rock or something and he goes slamming down and breaks his collarbone in like the first 5 minutes of of the official breaking the cycle program literally the, first breaking, five. the <laughs> breaking the collarbone breaking the collarbone
5: it's not breaking the cyclist, it's breaking the cycle. Well, he popped up off the ground. <laughs> and actually,
7: slowly. it was it was the four of us. Yeah, uh, We've had other yep. ride leaders come yeah, in and out, ride. but yeah, it yeah, was yeah. the four of us sitting
8: around here today. <laughs> they were all witness to that. And he got right up and he was like, yeah, I'm cool, I'm cool. I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm just going to, I'm not going to You know, ride. I probably shouldn't ride, but I'm cool. I'm going to go back to the uh, car. And uh, you know, you guys are good, right? Yeah. Uh, If you don't see me, when you you probably will. But if you don't see me, uh, you know, I know I'm good, but I'm gonna get probably checked out if I don't, you know, feel right. And I'm like, yeah, he broke something. (laughs) He won't be there. Uh, (coughs) And how did you guys do without him? Great. Uh,
7: We won it. We won it. And uh, it actually it, it turned out being a being a pretty good ride. We rode around in circles. I that, don't think "wunging" is a word, but I'm yeah. going to
8: use that. Tense I, like it. It. Yeah, I like it. i it. Yeah, I like it. You know, in some ways, I think
6: everything works out the way it's supposed to somehow. Because uh, that first season, Clint was hanging out with his arm in a sling, couldn't ride. And it served a purpose, like he was sort of the anchor mm-hmm. back at the base camp if we needed anybody. Maybe even just lighten up the charcoal or whatever he, it was. He, he really but, wasn't,
8: but we told him he was. <laughs> <laughs> to make him feel good, like he had a broken collarbone, we're like, like, you're our anchor, dude. Uh, you're our, you're,
3: you're, he's like, I mean, you're not much good for <laughs> much else. You had, anchor, the, you had you the court <laughs> Anchor,
8: literally. <laughs> that was all a good fun though. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't pass it up.
0: <laughs> yeah,
5: I've given up trying to explain all the dynamics or karma behind that one. But I think there were two things out of it though. And one is that this thing's bigger than me. It's bigger than one person. Right? These guys kept going, they rode out the whole season. And then the other thing though was that um and Jamie has mentioned this a few times. Jamie says, We suit up and show up. That's part of our recovery. You know, we're here every Sunday. I I was there every Sunday with my arm in a sling, so the riding wasn't so much the point, but I suited up, I showed up, it kept me sober, and then that's what we do, right? It's all about suiting sure. up and showing up. That's how, that's part of how you stay clean long term, is that sometimes you just suit up and show up and, and do the next thing you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, helping
5: others
7: helps me. Probably more times than not, I get more out of it than the person that I'm trying
8: to help, you know? Except um, for moving. <laughs> that, that, that That's we, different. That doesn't different. count. That's different. But, but with this, it's true.
0: <laughs> all right. Funniest other story
8: you guys got. Uh, oh, we got, uh, it has to be about this. <laughs>
7: <laughs> uh, Alright, wow, I'll man. start out with one you know we're all alcoholics and drug addicts so we happen to be on a ride one day and we're talking about something i think it was eating or something like that and we're talking about moderation you know it's like oh yeah yeah it's fine you know you just gotta practice a little moderation for some reason i was just like guys if any of us knew anything about moderation we wouldn't even know each other you know? <laughs> i mean that's <laughs> cool thing about recovery is it it brings people front that would normally never really have anything else in common now we found out that we have mountain biking in common but without without us you know traveling through this road of recovery we probably wouldn't know each other and these guys in three years these guys are my brothers you know we we care about each other and we we have a love for each other that is uh, you know I think the same we have we have a common bond you know and uh, that's that's kind of what we like to share with the kids too is that we all have a common bond and that's what breaking the cycle is we're breaking the cycle as ride leaders keeping ourselves sober these kids are breaking the cycle because they're here trying to better their lives. So I mean, it's just it's such an awesome awesome name for
8: this program. It just it just fits to a T. Common goals. Yeah. It just makes it strong.
7: Now, our, our resident comedian
5: <laughs> Which one? <Yeah>. Rob. <laughs> 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 yeah, I don't know. Depends who, yeah. I don't
7: know. <laughs> you can't give us too much sugar in the same room with each other. <laughs>
0: So if people would like to, if they want to get in contact with the program or if they want to make donations, where's the place to go? We do have a webpage,
5: www.breakingthecyclemtb, like mountain bike, breakingthecyclemtb.org. There's also a link to a Facebook page on there and contact information as well. So you can reach us that way, Z.
6: Okay. We hope
5: to see you. On the trails. Every ride's a gift. Yeah.
6: Every day's a gift.
5: Thank
0: you very much, guys.
5: All right, thanks. Thanks, Thank you.
0: So the Bike Karma Podcast is about stories stories about people and bicycles. It's not an advice show, so if you do crazy things that you've heard or think you've heard on the program, then that's all on you, so be safe. So like I said, the podcast is about stories and even though I've got enough stories for the next three episodes, maybe four, waiting to be edited and produced, we still need your story. So if you've got an interesting bicycle story, please email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. I can interview you over the phone or maybe in person. It's not live and we could do as many retakes as we schneed. <laughs> Whoops, I said schneed instead of need. Good thing it's not live. So once again, that email is bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. And if you want to help out the show, which is commercial free, please just leave a nice review on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or whatever service you use. If you want to do more than that, you can check out the WHS Bicycle Club wish list on Amazon.com. It's a high school club I work with. There's a lot of reasonably priced items that'll help us to help the community of cyclists in our town. Back to the show.
9: So you were asking if I've seen anything particularly strange on the side of the road. And the answer is, of course, yes, right? (laughs) Anybody who's done a lot of riding has seen some weird stuff. So here's my story. In my prior life, I'm a consultant in private practice now, transportation planning. In my prior life, I was 18 years with the East Coast Greenway Alliance. I was the director of Greenway Development. And every year, we would do a tour, an organized tour fundraising for the organization every year running further and further down the coast along the trail. One year was our tour from Portland, Maine to Hartford, Connecticut. And one day of that tour was Boston to Worcester. And it was on that ride that I was out front and there was a quite fresh dead possum in the road on an uphill. And I just kept cranking. And then I thought, you know, these people on our tour, they're paying a lot. Maybe I should just get that thing out of the road. It's not so upsetting for them. So I circled around, rolled back down the hill, pulled it off the road and into the brush. And that was when I saw one of its babies sitting there waiting for mama to come back so it could jump on mama's back or into her pouch or whatever. It was heartbreaking. And I know that when you see that kind of wildlife situation, what you're supposed to do is just leave it be but I could not. So I went over to that little possum and it looked at me and I looked at it and I, I scooped it up and I put it in my jersey pocket. I thought, well, maybe in my pocket, it'll be like a marsupial pocket, you know? And I said to myself, I'm just gonna roll until I come across a police station or something. I don't know, but I, I didn't really have it. Because they take possums? <laughs> yes, that's right. Cops love possums. Cops
0: yeah. love the possums. <laughs> that's
9: right. Most most police stations and substations have a have a possum they keep there.
0: Excuse me, sir. We've gotten over twenty possums. People listening to your podcast. What are you telling people, sir?
9: Yeah. So as I'm riding along, this little possum has started to climb up my back. This one, one foothold after another, climbing up my like red jersey. And. It's up at my neck now, and it's licking the salt off my neck. And I pull over, and I pull my phone out. I'm looking for wildlife rehab, anything. Meanwhile, some of these people that have signed up for the tour have caught up. And everybody's crowded around looking at this amazingly cute little baby possum. So there's a church across the way, and I said, well, I can... I'm just going to go in there and see if they have any suggestions. Maybe they know where I can bring this baby possum. And I'm half thinking, gosh, what if I brought it home? What would my wife say? Could we raise a baby possum? Fortunately, my like, good brain got the better of my like, soft, emotional brain. So I go in there, and the people are very nice. And the, you know, the woman pulls out the yellow pages, and finds wildlife rehab place. And this fellow walks in, and he hears the story. And he says, oh, I could bring it over there. You know, I'm here with a car, you're on a bike, and I've got a box. Let's get this box, we'll pop some holes in it, put the baby possum in there, I'll bring it over. I say, that's fantastic, thank you so much, there at this Methodist church in Sudbury, I think it was, Mass? That night, I'm Facebooking about it, and one of my best friends from my life, a woman named Debbie, calls me and says, wait a minute, did you pass along this baby possum at the such and such church? Did the guy look like this? He had the, you know, glasses like this and the facial hair like that. Yes, Debbie. Uh huh, uh huh. That was my father. It was the most amazing coincidence, and I've never met her father. Just small world circumstance. And because it was one of my best friend's dads, I was able to get updates on this creature every six months or so for the next couple of years as it served as an educational uh, organism, let's say, for this wildlife rehab center, bringing it around to schools and, and things like that to teach people about the natural history of the possum. And uh, that is my side of the road story. Thanks
0: nice. So you're, you didn't become a possum parent, more like a possum godparent. <laughs> You're kinda, you kind know, of I watching would, from afar, just making sure everything's cool.
9: I would say that I was a short-term foster parent. Short-term, short-term foster parent for, for this possum and found a much better home for it, and happily so. And now possum is my totem animal. Nice. No, not, not really, but I do love possums. On your
0: podcast, you're going to have a possum. <laughs> <laughs>
9: That'll be the logo. The
0: cat's my spirit animal.
9: Yeah, only... Until I hack into your website and change that, change change the artwork so it's a possum with bicycle eyes. (laughs) I know some Russian hackers who can take care of this for me once they're done with their next election. Thanks, Russia.
0: That does it for another episode of Bike Karma. I'd like to thank Mary Jane, Ron, Pam, and Christy, and of course, Kevin for the first segment. Jamie Wright, Rob Bacchus, Al Patterson, and Clint Morgan for the second segment on Breaking the Cycle, Eric Weiss of New England Builders Ball fame for sharing his story about the little orphaned possum, Aaron and John from Uncle the Podcast for both having me on their show and for letting me use part of their show on my show. Online thanks to Jen Lacker, A Bike Under a Guy, Tom Debussy, and John2001 for either following and or writing a review. Want to thank all the bike shops across the country who've helped me by putting out some stickers appreciate it thank keller glass and the band mobjack at mobjack music for our opening and closing themes and want to thank all the listeners and contributors who've either helped with previous episodes or have a segment waiting for a future episodes if you have any comments on the show or a story you'd like to share you can email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com the bike karma podcast and the whimsical logo of a cat and a bicycle are the intellectual property of Thomas Brown. All rights, copyrights and trademarks are reserved. Thanks again for coming along for the ride. Till next time, keep it wheel.